0: kind of a crazy thing to think about, but it's moments like that where we're reminded of the family that God has brought us into. And I think it's it's good as we reflect on a year that's gone by and we look into a new year to think about what are the things that God is calling us to do. I don't know how this last year has gone for you or the last three years or the last 10 years, but what I can tell you is that God always has something better ahead than what you've experienced in the past. And that is regardless of your choices, your responsibilities, God is always, from the beginning of Scripture to the end of Scripture, making plans for better, for more, for good things to happen for you. And and obviously, long term, that's in eternity where there is nothing but good, but in this broken world, Jesus has a habit of even taking our bad and turning it into good. Jesus said it this way. This is one of the, the scriptures that our mission statement is founded on. John 10, 10, Jesus said this. He said, the thief's purpose is to steal and kill and destroy. That defines the broken world that we live in. But my purpose, Jesus's purpose, is to give them, that's me and you. That's the people that follow Jesus. My purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying Life That is what we call flourishing, that God intended us for flourishing. He has, through the cross and the resurrection of Jesus and the gift of his Holy Spirit, made a way for us to flourish even in a broken world, and he invites us to participate in it. It doesn't just happen. Jesus made a way for it, and we participate. Colossians 3.10 says, So put on your new nature, like a new set of Christmas clothes, put on your new nature that Jesus gave you, and be renewed, How? As you learn to know your creator and become like him. So that's why we say we exist to help people flourish through knowing Jesus. Knowing Jesus better and better is the only way that we discover who we were meant to be and become that person we were meant to be. Knowing Jesus better and better is the only way that we achieve the flourishing that God designed for us. And Jesus died and rose from the dead and sent his Holy Spirit to help us in that journey. So I have a couple questions for you to start this morning off. The first one is, if Jesus has something better for you in 2024, get used to saying that, get used to writing that, it'll be like May and I'll still be writing 2023. But in 2024, Jesus has something better planned for you. And I'm curious, what new thing do you think God wants to accomplish in you in this new year? Maybe you have some goals for yourself, maybe not, but Jesus does. What is that new thing? Maybe you already have a sense of, I think God's calling me towards this. I think Jesus is calling me to be more like him in this. What is that new thing that he's calling you to? And even more importantly... Even if you have no idea what Jesus has in store for you, there's seasons for me where I'm like, Jesus, I don't know where you're leading. But the more important question is, are you saying yes to Jesus? Are you saying yes to Jesus? Are you making it a daily, weekly habit? Is the the mindset that you have of Jesus, whatever you want, whatever you say, wherever you're leading, yes. Because a lot of times Jesus likes it if we say yes ahead of time and then he shows us the plan. It's part of that trust walk, that faith walk that we have with him. But if you've been walking with Jesus for a while, you know that saying yes to Jesus has its challenges, right? We know that saying yes to Jesus doesn't come without competition. We say yes to Jesus in a world where there's a lot of other things that are demanding our attention to say yes to. We say yes to Jesus, and and let's be honest, we would never say no to Jesus' face, right? And if Jesus was right here instead of me, if Jesus was the pastor of your church, wow, luckiest church in the world, right? You would never say no. Whatever he said, it would be solid gold. You'd say, yes, let's do it right now, right here, yes. We never say no to Jesus' face. But what happens is we often say no to Jesus by saying yes to other things instead. We say yes to substitutes. We say yes to things that promise a rich and satisfying life, don't we? We say yes to the things that we think will make us happy. Yes to the things that we think will bring us to that place of flourishing. And sometimes in saying yes to those things, we end up by de facto saying no to Jesus. Now, it's, it's sometimes hard to understand how that would work, but there are many places in the New Testament, Galatians chapter 5, Colossians chapter 3, Romans chapter 8, that talk about the fact that there is a spiritual battle, not just the one around us between the devil and Jesus, but that spiritual battle actually exists inside of us between what the Bible calls our old, our sinful nature, and our new, through being reborn in Jesus, our new spiritual nature. We have a sinful nature and we have a spiritual nature and they call us to two different pathways to flourishing. Romans chapter 8 verse 6 said it this way. It says, letting your sinful nature control your mind leads to death. Now we might think the mind control part is the problem. None of us wants to be controlled. But notice the next verse. It says, but letting the spirit control your mind leads to life and peace. So it's not a question of whether your mind is being controlled or led or guided in a certain direction. It's which one are you letting control your mind? Because one leads to death and one leads to life and to peace. And there's not a man, woman, or child in this room that would say, ooh, sign me up for the death one. (laughs) New year, death is my goal. That's not a healthy human being, right? We all want life and peace, but it it can be kind of hard to understand how this happens in us on a daily basis. So I've asked Pastor Shannon and Tina DeVries to come out and help illustrate this. They're gonna come out and and join me here on the stage. They often teach our parenting classes, our marriage classes, and they are so good at helping make the complicated things seem simple. So they're gonna do that. They're gonna help you simplify what happens in Caleb Bryant's brain. And, And in order to do that, they, just as a test of how strong their marriage is, they're going to have a little bit of a tug-of-war competition today, and I'm sure they'll go home, and, and, and it'll, be, it'll be great. But here's the, here's the maybe disadvantage that they each have. They're representing parts of Caleb Bryant's soul. Remember, the, the scripture said, what controls your mind, and the Bible often associates your mind, your sense of consciousness, with your soul. And so this rope represents Caleb Bryan's soul. And, and on one side of this soul is uh, my sinful nature, Pastor Shannon. And, and Pastor Shannon has been, uh, <laughs> they're booing you, wow. I haven't even told him what you've done yet, but all sorts of bad things he's done is my sinful nature. It's really his fault, not my fault. Oh, wait, that's the sinful nature talking. But, Pastor Shannon is the most likely person, some of you know we're about to start a a time of fasting, Pastor Shannon is the most likely person to ask me to go get fast food on a daily basis. (laughs) Therefore, he has been named my sinful nature. On the other hand, uh, Tina is the most likely person in my life to make something healthy taste really good. So if you get invited to the DeVries home, no, it might be healthy, but it's still going to taste good. Maybe not by Shannon standards, I don't know. But all that to say, um, they represent, Tina represents my spiritual nature, the nature that God has put inside of me, and each side of this nature is always tugging on this rope. My, my Shannon nature, my sinful nature is saying, hey, feed me. Give me what I want. I will show you how to be happy. And the more that he tugs, the more I'm like, yeah, I I need to follow him to be happy. And at the same time, my spiritual nature is saying, no, there's a better way. There's a better way. Now, those of you that have lived in this tension for a while, you know that your your sinful nature is always louder, just like Shannon. Just loud, obnoxious, (laughs) demanding, right? (laughs) Just impatient, and, and, and while the spiritual nature is often quieter, more subtle, just kind of inviting us to an adventure that we haven't, we haven't seen yet, we haven't tasted. But the spiritual nature says there's something better out there. Now, the sinful nature has an advantage because it's usually closer to the surface. The sinful nature is, ties its wants and demands to our physical bodies. And so often Shannon will first start by saying, hey, I, I, just, I just want a little something sweet, Caleb. Right? Sugar satisfies. This, this particular Snickers, I thought, ironically said it satisfies. But would it? I don't know about you, when you eat a Snickers, but when I eat a Snickers, my sinful nature says, oh, now you need more sugar. So there's more sugar. And, and how many of you, you just, you like this morning, you're maybe sugared out. It's the one time of the year where you don't want more sugar. But you always need more sugar. And if you're getting like sugared out, you just need a little bit of salty. Right, Shannon? We just need some chips. But sometimes I find that sugar's not enough. I need my caffeine fix. This is when I'm in a rush. When I have time and I'm a little more classy, I have this caffeine fix because no amount of caffeine is enough. Right. Hot, chocolate. Got hot, chocolate? hot chocolate. He likes hot chocolate. My sinful nature wants sugar and caffeine. But then my sinful nature also needs to be entertained constantly, so I have, you know, I have this screen, I have this screen in front of me, but if that's not enough, I have my, my TV screen, but when that gets boring, I have this, I mean, it's really for my son, but I have to play it to know what he's experiencing, right? Dads, maybe, moms, I don't know. Right, there's never enough sugar and caffeine and entertainment, and then there's never enough money. He always wants more money. The the, the sinful nature needs more. There's never enough. And have you noticed when you're constantly running around chasing these things, there's never enough time? Right, I never have time for everything that I want, there's never enough time. I run around all day trying to keep myself. Happy, And no matter how much sugar, money, or anything else I get, I never end up happy, even though Shannon told me I would be. He just wants more. And, and eventually we exhaust ourselves, and these are some of the more innocent things, right? No matter how much sugar I have, I always want more. No matter how much money I have, I always want more. But isn't that the same thing? No matter how much alcohol you have, you always want More. No matter how good your job is, you always want another one. No matter how nice your car is, you always want a better one. No matter how big your house is, you always want a bigger one. No matter how beautiful your wife is, you always want... Oh, not in church. Oh. Yeah. Whoa. Hold on to that rope. I mean, that would never happen to church people, right? Church people don't want those things. But there's a part of us that does. There's a part of us that's always tugging for more, better, demanding, and that demand eventually exhausts us. That demand eventually, no matter how much money we make, it's just never enough, and we're exhausted. No matter how much entertainment we have, no matter how much food we eat, no matter how much alcohol we drink or caffeine we inject into our blood vessels, it's never enough because we never have enough time or energy to make it all happen. It's just never enough. And that is the challenge. That is the end result of following the voice of our sinful nature. Shannon does it to me all the time. I mean, my sinful nature does it to me all the time. And usually we have to get worn out of following this direction. And the more that we feed this direction, the more it pulls our spiritual life away from what Jesus has called us to. Into that direction, and we have to, we end up getting exhausted and realizing I don't want to keep going that way. And it's usually not till I've exhausted myself trying to satisfy the sinful nature that I start to turn another direction. I start to listen to the whisper, the call of the spiritual nature, the longings of the spiritual nature. And the longing of the spiritual nature, do you know what always feeds the spiritual nature? It's the Word of God. Right? The Word of God is where that starts to feed that side of our soul. And then when I meditate on the word of God and I, I journal and I pray about the word of God, it starts to strengthen that part of my soul. I read books because I'm not that smart of a Christian. I read books by smarter Christians to help me figure it out. I memorize scripture. These are my scripture memory cards that help me the words stay in my head so that when Shannon starts, starts calling me again, I say, no, that's not true, Shannon. The word is in my mind, and then I just got to keep my worship jams on so your earbuds playing the right soundtracks are helpful, right? And when I play these things, do you know what happens? The sinful nature really is all on its own. The devil will tell you he'll help you, but he won't. He leaves you hung out to dry. But the spiritual nature, when you feed the spiritual nature, you begin to actually hear and recognize the voice of God. So I want Pastor Susie, a woman of the word, studying the word, preaches the word, to come up and join Tina as the voice of God in my life that she speaks the words of God. I'm like, oh, I hear God, that helps me. But it's not just there. And then you sense the power of the Holy Spirit. So I want Jeanette to come up, who's the person most like the Holy Spirit in my life, or at least she tells me that every day. So, so she's gonna help pull. And, and what happens is they start... This is what's supposed to happen. When your spirit is strong, it's like a person walking a well-trained dog. Your body follows in alignment with your spirit. But when your dog, your body, your your sinful nature is not put in its rightful place, the dog is stronger than the owner. Have you seen a dog dragging its owner down the block? Right? The tug of war goes the wrong direction. And, and unfortunately, sometimes no matter when you start doing all these things, you still recognize these moments where your sinful nature seems to have this, this foothold, this stronghold. Maybe it's an area of family history or an addiction in your life or some sort of sin that's been ingrained. And no matter how much you feed your spiritual nature, it feels like they can't budge this sinful nature. And that's the time when you call in the backup. That's the moment where you go deeper into those spiritual disciplines. And I want Eddie to come up and grab a hold of this rope because Eddie, Eddie is what my spirit feels like when I fast. When I fast, I weaken the physical nature, the sinful nature, and I strengthen the spiritual nature. And what happens is the sinful nature just has to follow along. He has no chance. Shannon has, sorry, Shannon, you have no chance anymore. (laughs) Because fasting puts all those things on steroids. Can you give a hand to my tug-of-war team? (laughs) So here's the reality. We laugh about it, but we we all live in this tension, don't we? We all live in this tension. When you're in church on Sunday morning, we all want to say yes. By the end of it, yes, Lord, I want what you have for me. But then you get home and the game doesn't go the way you wanted. Your wife doesn't treat you like she's saying yes to Jesus. <laughs> or you think that because she's saying, she's saying no to you for something. <laughs> right? Or you go to work the next day and your boss is not saying yes to Jesus. Right? And we start the, what was a yes to Jesus, we start saying yes, I need this. This will make me feel better more quickly. I need this. And so as we start a new year, I just, I want to encourage you and challenge you, church, that if you're going to say yes to what Jesus has for you, I guarantee you, you need to start with no somewhere else. You need to start with no to some of the things that you've been satisfying yourself with. You need to start with no, with the rat race of life, trying to keep all these things flowing in your life. You need to say no to some of the voices that are demanding that you walk in that direction. You have to start with no. Now, never to Jesus. Don't say no to Jesus. But you're gonna have to say no to some selfish ambition. You're gonna have to say no There's some desires that come way too naturally to you. You're going to have to train the dog to obey the master. There's so many other things that scream for our time and our energy and attention. And we have to say no to those things if Jesus is going to get them. Some of us have to say no to the social demands around us. We have to say no. Some of you need to say no to some family demands on your life and let Jesus be in charge. Some of you have to say no to the sports schedules that dictate not only your kid's life, but your life and your budget and everything else about you. You have to say no to some old habits. You have to say no to the screens and the television and all the other things. You have to say no to some things that are good because God's calling you to something better that you want better. Better. Jesus was a master at this. Jesus said no to things all the time. Jesus said no, first of all, praise God. He said no to his divinity for a time. He said no to heaven, to say yes to humanity and come be a savior and a substitute for us on the cross. He said no in his earthly ministry to greater influence. He said no to prosperity. He said no to popularity, to be alone with his father and to be with the people he came to save. He said no to his disciples in order to do God's will. He said no to cultural norms. He said no to family expectations in order to be healthy and holy and be who God had called him to be. Jesus said no all the time. Often he said it to the people who loved him most because they had the wrong ideas for him. Only his father knew what was best. And I want to challenge you to say no In some of the same ways, I wanna challenge you to say no because no is a powerful protector against all of the fillers that take up our capacity and steal the most meaningful things in life. I wanna challenge you to say no, and we have to say no to the wrong things in order to say yes to the right things. There's no other way to do it. Jesus didn't say you can have both and. Our sinful nature, when we get saved and it recognizes it could lose, our sinful nature is always trying to talk to both and, both and, Jesus loves you, you can have Jesus and you can have the things of the world. The sinful nature would like us to believe that so that it doesn't get trained, but we have to say no. We know this, this is true in so many practical areas of life, right? If you wanna hold down a job, you have to say no to sleeping in to get things done and to get to work on time. I mean, most jobs still even today would require that of you, right? You have to say no. Most of America is gonna at least verbally say no to sugar over the next few days to try to get in shape and then fail. We have to say no to screens if we're gonna have real human relationships. Like you can't have a human relationship staring at this thing, right? And these are just some more innocent examples. What about saying no to greed so you can experience the joy of generosity? What about saying no to gluttony so that you can just actually be satisfied with good things and share the wealth of what you have with the world around you? What about saying no to self-preservation? It's all about me. I gotta prepare for retirement and I gotta take care of my body and I gotta take care of my mental health. I gotta ta- it's all about taking care of me. Everything's about me, 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 me. While the world around you suffers with far less. Of all of those categories. What about lust? Saying no to lust and desire and rampant need for more. What about saying no to laziness and just doing something valuable with our time? Again, these are some of the more innocent examples of what we should say no to. And if we're going to say yes to Jesus, we have to say no to all of the substitutes. That's why I'm inviting you. You're welcome. I'm inviting you to join me and our pastoral team if you want, and there's no judgment. You don't have to. I'm going to love you no matter what. You're part of the family no matter what. But I'm inviting you to the blessing of joining me on a 21-day fast. <laughs> I thought you were going to cheer and get excited. No, I'll be honest. This, this part of me... Not excited about fasting. Mm -mm. (laughs) Dreading fasting. Why? Because you saw what fasting does to our sinful nature. But there's another part of me that wonders what God has up next, that wonders what the adventure ahead looks like, that has tasted and seen that the Lord is good and better, and I want more of it. So I want to invite you on a 21-day fast from tomorrow through the 21st, I'll tell you how in just a few minutes, but I want, to, want you to understand fasting is a powerful spiritual exercise when you put aside that which most satisfies your body in order to pursue that which most satisfies your soul. That's what fasting does, is it replaces physical nourishment with spiritual nourishment. It's a powerful thing. It's the ultimate exercise in saying no in order to say yes And God absolutely responds. When we do it, and we do it with the right heart, we don't do it to get what we want, but we do it because we want more of God. We want to be in a place to say yes to Jesus. We just want to hear him and follow him and know him and be renewed in him. When our heart is right about fasting, God always fills the void that food fills in our life. He satisfies us more than food ever could. He responds. But here's the other thing. This is the good news. You're not meant to fast forever. In fact, 21 days is a long time, and we'll talk about how to do that in a healthy healthy way in a moment. You're not meant to fast forever, so there's another spiritual discipline that I really feel like the Holy Spirit prompted me to to call you to again this year. It's one that is sustainable and makes life sustainable. It's one that is a game changer for both the physical, mental, and emotional health of our lives as well as the spiritual. That's the rhythm of Sabbath. Sabbath the rhythm of sabbath it's not the law of sabbath not the old testament mosaic law of sabbath it's the spiritual rhythm of sabbath that god built into creation sabbath simply put is taking a break from everything that can distract us from god to fully experience and enjoy him that's what sabbath is it's saying no to all the distractions and demands and saying god i'm just here waiting on you It's rooted in God's rhythm, Genesis chapter 2, verses 2 through 3. On the seventh day of creation, right, God just created the world. No big deal for God. On the seventh day, God had finished his work of creation, so he rested from all of his work. And God blessed the seventh day and declared it holy because it was the day when he rested from all of his work of creation. Now, we know God didn't rest because he was tired God rested because that's how we actually wrap our heads around all that is good in our lives, all that is good in the world. God rested to just simply observe and enjoy his own goodness in creation. And if it's worth it for God to do that, it's definitely worth it for us to do that. Right? Sabbath is a sacred and sustainable rhythm to work hard six days a week and rest well for 24 of those hours. 24 of those hours a week. Now, in order to do this, you have to maximize your effort in the six days because if you're like me, when I first started, I'm like, I can't get everything done in six days. How can I get everything done in six days? I can't even get everything done in seven days. I'll tell you what, it works the same way as tithing works. When any time one of us first gets challenged to give generously in a biblical way like tithing, we're like, God, I can't hardly make ends meet on 100%. How am I gonna do it on 90%? And it's shocking to me to this day. I know the scriptures, I teach on it. I've not had one person say, you know what? I've been tithing for two years and I'm penniless. God lied, it doesn't work. I have yet to meet a tither that hasn't had God bless them. I mean, it's just like if you've done it, you're like, yeah, God blesses it. Our church is built on people who have taken God up on that and their sacrifice has blessed them and this church. So if that's what God can do with our money, another finite resource, it's the same thing God does with our time. That when we say, God, I'm going to limit myself to fulfilling all of my obligations in six days, and I'm going to take one day, and I'm giving it all to you, God. I'm going to enjoy what you have given me in life. It requires you to be a little more disciplined with the six days, right? God doesn't bless a tither who can't live on a budget, Right? Budgeting's part of it. It's like the wisdom and stewardship of what God's given you. The same thing with your time. You have to kind of budget that. And I've found that, that I have to maximize that time. I have to make every minute count. But I've also found that when I maximize my effort at my job, it's more fulfilling. When I maximize my effort around the house, it's more fulfilling. When I maximize my effort in raising my kids, it's more fulfilling. When I work hard at something good, I end up tired and satisfied. I end up tired for all the right reasons. And my sinful nature says, Caleb, be lazy, take it easy. Work is not worth it. But my spiritual nature says, Caleb, I've given you gifts and passions. I've given you responsibilities to steward. It might not always be the job you want. Your family might not always be the way you want. But God gave it to you. Work hard at it. Tire yourself out six days a week. And then enjoy the results at least one day every week enjoy the richness of your investment and that's what sabbath is all about that we say no to some of the extras and say yes to all the right things when you work hard for 6 days a week at home and work and family and all those things super fulfilling and then when you revel and rest for that one day of week of the week it's super rejuvenating so here's how it works in my family. In my family, the, the kids know that 5 o'clock the day before Sabbath, 5 p.m. the day before Sabbath, we, we do kind of like a, like a dinner through dinner rhythm. They know that mom and dad, in fact, they'll even hold us accountable. Like, I'll be like, hey, hey, son, can you go finish up the dishes? He'll be like, dad, it's 5.30. It's Sabbath. <laughs> and you know what? That's one of the moments where I'm like, you know what, son, you're right. No dishes. No laundry, no cleaning, Jeanette. No cleaning at Sabbath. No pro- projects, no no none of those things. If we didn't get it done before 5 p.m., then we wait until 5 p.m. the next day. You're like, what? I'll tell you what though, 3 to 5 p.m., the kids know that last two hours before Sabbath, it's go time, baby. They're like flying through laundry, doing dishes. I'm out there doing yard work, right? We're trying to get everything done so that we can just rest and not live in a a dumpster fire the next 24 hours, right? But when we limit ourselves and we're not grocery shopping or, or clothing shopping or doing the things that we have to do on Sabbath, we enjoy what we already have and we thank God for it. If we didn't get the grocery shopping done, we enjoy whatever food's in the house and boy, do we enjoy it on Sabbath. We don't drown our mind on cheap entertainment, we enjoy each other, we play games, we celebrate, we eat good food, we do all of those things. The kids know that by 5 p.m. it's family night, it's family movie night, it's pizza night, that's how we celebrate Sabbath in the Bryant home. And then the next morning we go get donuts or eat some other sugary, good, doughy, delicious item. But here's what I'll tell you. If I've just been indulging myself all week on those things, drowning myself in laziness and indulgence, they're not enjoyable on Sabbath. But when I say, I don't have time for that, I'm going to work hard, I'm going to give my best energy, I'm going to maximize what I can give these six days, then Sabbath, it's all party, baby. It's all party, my kids love it. I love it. It's wonderful. And, and this is what God has in mind for us. It's how we operate as a staff, by the way. Our management tr- team tries to make sure that our staff is both maximizing their energy for the glory of God, but also having rhythms where they can rest and take a step back. In fact, I love that on our, our pastoral team, I more often have the conversation of, hey, you need to take a day off. You need to step back. Than I have like, hey, you need to work harder. Right? It's a good balance to work hard and rest well. But as we've said already, you have to start with no. You have to start with no somewhere. I'm going to ask the worship team to come back. And we're going to spend some time listening to God. We're going to take a little moment and practice Sabbath for just a few minutes. The Sabbath rhythms always have to be focused around gratitude towards God They have to be focused around resting in the presence of God. Now, I talked to you about some of the practical elements, but do you know what what we do as a family in all of those moments where where we're celebrating is we remind ourselves this is because God has been good to us. This is because God has provided for us. Our kids probably get sick of Jeanette and I telling them, hey, this is because God provided for us when we couldn't make enough money for ourselves. This is because God has gone before us. This good stuff is because God has taken taken care of us. And we remind them in that moment, this is also why we give generously to missions, because there are people that don't have this. We practice gratitude. There's, There's house projects and things that need to be fixed and things that need to be done. We practice thanking God for the home that we've been given We thank God for the church that we have and the family that we have. And by the way, all of Christian Sabbath, which Christians recognize the value of. And when they were kicked out of the Jewish synagogues in the early church, they moved the Sabbath rhythm. They didn't just say, well, no more Sabbath. No, they repackaged it on Sundays. They said, well, Sunday's the day when Jesus rose from the dead. It's the Lord's day. Let's gather and worship on Sundays. And Sunday became the normative Sabbath time for Christians. Again, it's not a law. It's a rhythm where God gives you more grace when you rest and trust in him. Every area of your life that you submit and rest and trust in him, God gives you more grace and blesses you more than you could ever bless yourself. We're foolish to reject it when we reject Rest in God. It's a declaration of self-sufficiency that leads to our demise. We have. There's never been a culture in the world before that has had so much money and power and freedom to tow this end of the rope as far as we can take it. And what is the result? Do we have a culture full of just healthy people? We have a culture of unheard of broken marriages, broken families, broken mental health. People enslaved to debt no matter how much money they make. And here's the thing, those are statistics, but those are also our lives, aren't they? You cannot pull the rope in that direction and flourish. It's only when we let the Holy Spirit and the word of God lead us that we find that flourishing. And so I wanna challenge you with two things as you start the year. You're welcome. You're like, Caleb, this was supposed to be like a Happy New Year service. Like, take your foot off the gas a little bit. Here's the thing, I would accept that I really, I'm serious about your flourishing. I'm serious about what God has for you. And, and I've, I've seen it in my own life and I'm working at these disciplines. I'm not great at these things. Like, I'm not like some super faster or super Sabbather. I wanna be someday. I want to be a a spiritual Gandalf someday, but I'm not yet. And you know what would be even cooler is to have like the whole spiritual, I don't know, Lord of the Rings or Jedi. I don't know, whatever you want to use. But we want to be spiritual people. So there's two things I want to challenge you with. First of all, I want you to start this year renewed through a season of prayer and fasting. Prayer and fasting. And here's what I'd like you to do, because 21 days is a long time. Can I just challenge you, if you've never fasted before, fast one meal a day and substitute the hour that you would spend prepping and eating food for prayer. That's it. If that seems easy, do two meals a day. And if that seems easy, then join our our pastoral team doing a Daniel fast or a vegetarian fast or a juice fast. Go crazy fast. Don't go crazy. But get serious about it. When you seek God, you will find more of God you will find more of God. And then secondly, can I, can I encourage you, take those three weeks to plan, organize, talk with your, your household about what is Sabbath going to look like for you for the rest of the year? Can you set aside 24 hours a week where you say no to anything that isn't helping you experience God's refreshing in your life? Now, For some of you, it's just like starting to tithe or starting to budget, start small. Start with six hours, can you get six hours? But know that the goal is to trust God with 24. Trust God with 24. I'll tell you what, since I've been trying to practice Sabbath, when I do it well, I sleep better. There's more joy in my marriage. I'm a better parent to my kids. I'm a better pastor to this church. Sometimes some tasks wait a little longer to get done It's amazing how that happens anyways, doesn't it? So those are my two things to you. Fast for 21 days, Sabbath this year. But what I've been saying all along is to say yes to those things, you're gonna have to say no to something else. And so as we end this year, what do you need to say no to so that you can say yes to what Jesus has this next year? What do you need to say no to? Jesus is always saying, "Hey, will you trade me? I'll make a really bad trade. You give me your junky priorities and I'll give you my really good blessings." What junky priorities? What facade of importance do you need to lay down at Jesus's feet so that he can give you true glory? What do you need to say no to today? Leave it behind in 2023. I had a moment At a pastor's conference this last summer where a pastor uh, actually our lead pastor doug clay is the head of the assemblies of god he gave an altar call and he said i want you to come to this altar pastors and leave behind something that you have struggled with for years and i believe god's going to set you free and can i tell you i did it and god set me free God set me free why do i tell you that because sometimes we get so used to these mindsets we think this is normal that there's always this pull. It doesn't have to be that way. So what is down here pulling that you're gonna say no to and leave it in 2023 and start living 2024 like you're on the adventure with Jesus over here? What do you need to say no to? So would you stand with me this morning And would you begin to just seek the Lord, begin to open yourself to God, maybe put your hands in front of you in a position of surrender and just say, Jesus, what do you want me to give to you? And let's practice the age-old Christian tradition of surrendering to Jesus as we sing this song.